I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GCE became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. episode 114 of the Natural Hatchery Podcast alongside Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner. Also here. Wow, okay. Natty Hatty. I'm Luke Lipinski. We've got a couple more previews to get through before the start of the season, which, gentlemen, is now like eight days away. It's an yeah. exciting time of year. Yeah, we're getting, uh, we're getting real close here. A lot of preseason hockey, starting to see a lot of goals from the Devils for some reason. Because it's the preseason. Of course, because the games don't matter. I haven't seen any of those goals, have you? You did. You were in Tucson last night. I was. I've I've been going to preseason games and watching them on TV. Oh, so you're the one. I am the one. And uh, for whatever reason, Craig is taking a stance against the preseason. I take a stance against all preseasons. NFL, NHL. I don't watch the NBA at all. So I, I guess I'm taking a stance against the NBA entirely. You don't watch uh, spring training? Nope. Wow. Okay. So... We're going to get through Tampa Bay today. We've got some uh, some news and notes. Tampa Bay, by the way, a team I think all of us is we're all pretty high on the Lightning, correct? Yeah, we are. I think we've all talked about how we expect them to get back into the postseason should they remain relatively healthy, which has been a, an issue for them in recent years. Why is I feel like the three of us just met. Like this is a very like awkward podcast right now. What can I do to, to, to make you guys feel more comfortable in this studio, even though I can't see either one of you right I now? I told you, you could bring me tamales from El Charo, but you didn't. Who's to say so I didn't? That's got a bag right here full of distance stuff. Is that what this is? Now. That's really this what this is. This is just yeah. tamale tension right on the air? A $100 bill would make me feel better. All right, well, there's a better chance Jamie gets $100 than Craig gets those tamales. Wow, the tamales are not $100. I know, but it's just your attitude about it. Okay. It's, it's, so, it's just so much. I even enlisted Vince Morata, by the way. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. You got to the point where you were harassing me, so... I purposely didn't even go to uh, to El Charo to pick up tamales. And you cheated yourself in the process. I did. I've never been there. If they sponsored the podcast, maybe I would go. We've got some uh, some wow. defenseman news. All right. So we're gonna start. With, all right. We're gonna start locally. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Are you are you all just pulled in now? Oh boy. All right. You see what I'm working defenseman with. News. As as I've mentioned before, you get exactly what you pay for with our free podcast. <laughs> We had a good show last week. When we, I think we pretty much acknowledged after the Shane Doan episode it was going to be all downhill from there. Or if we didn't openly say it, we implied it. Oliver ekman Larson, this is big news. Big news in that it wasn't a big injury. That was a, that was a huge scare for the Coyotes. Already playing without Jacob Chikrin, who, whose timeline is still fuzzy, although he's walking around pretty well right now and supposedly going to start skating in, quote, a few weeks, according to... General Manager John Chaika, but a few could be like yeah, we don't know seven. We don't yeah. know. But when, when OEL went down in the another preseason game that I didn't watch, it was pretty scary. Fortunately, no well, how would you know you weren't watching? Well, you know, yeah, there's, I, there's no there's no mechanism in which from to, what I heard, <laughs> no mechanism to find out information in this day and age without actually watching it. No, there's none none out there. I don't need the sarcasm. Don't you don't need sass. it, but you're getting it. Okay, that's fair. Well, I can tell you I was in the uh, the building for that, and it was a pretty fun atmosphere. It was the one 
home game at Gila River Arena for the, in the preseason for the Coyotes. <laughs> Wasn't supposed to be, but... No, but uh, there was a lot of goals. That team in particular seems, at least so far in the preseason, to be kind of what the three of us thought maybe they would be, in, in that they are a team that can score goals and also gives up a lot of goals. No, it's the preseason, whatever. But it was a fun atmosphere. They go to overtime. Ekman Larson gets tied up with Mikel Bodker, of, of all, all people, people right. who is probably his best friend in this league, or certainly yes. right there. And... Uh, I can tell you all the air went out of the building, and he had to be helped off the ice, and it looked like it was... <laughs> it just looked like it was the Coyotes' luck right there to lose their best player in a preseason overtime game for you don't know how long. We still don't know how long, but he's listed as day-to-day as opposed to, like, month-to-month. Right, and the key is no structural damage. And I did see him the next day walking outside the locker room. He had a, he had a noticeable limp but wasn't wearing anything on the knee, so I don't know if he had just got out of treatment. But, again, they're saying no structural damage day-to-day hoping he's going to be ready for the season opener. Yeah, so yeah, and that's all you can hope for at this point. You're already down one defenseman. He doesn't need Oliver ekman doesn't need more preseason time. You know what you're going to get with him. Just if he's ready by the time Vegas comes to town, you're golden. I see what you did there. See that? Yeah. yeah. A little golden pun there from, from Jamie for the Golden Knights. He has looked really good. Uh, I know he hasn't played a lot of preseason games, but even in training camp in Rick Tockett's system, it's, it's interesting that the Coyotes, they've got a lot of players – on this team that are new, but the guys that have been here before are used to playing, obviously, under Dave Tippett. It's not the same coaching style, so you can see guys taking some time to adjust to the uh, the different demands that Rick Tockett has of them. But if Oliver ekman Larson is healthy this year, that looks like an environment where he could really thrive. In so many in so many ways, right? Playing with Nicholas Chalmerson, playing in this system, playing with the puck. Yeah. And you know, coming off what he was coming off of, he's he's really determined himself to have a big season. Not not I don't think anybody would say that that he let them down with what he was dealing with last year with the death of his mother and a broken thumb. But he's really motivated this season, and it seems like they've created as perfect an environment as they could create to help him succeed. Yeah, uh, Eric Carlson is a player that I think Oliver Ekman Larson models his game after. I think most defensemen are trying to model their game after Eric Carlson's uh, style of play right now. And he's at least skating. That's all we know on him. But this is a guy that I think would have been everybody's Norris Trophy favorite coming into this season. But if he's going to miss a month or something, then obviously it's going to be tough for him to win it. But that's Ottawa has no chance of doing anything if he's hurt. So that's at least, uh, it's at least good news. You always want all the best players playing. I mean, whether they're on your favorite team or not, or at least I do, I want the best players to be available and healthy and good to go. Yeah, and he no timeline yet on his return, obviously, and he's he's not doing any contact. He's not taking part in the drills, so it's it's hard to say. But you're right. If he, if he misses too much, I I don't know what what what's too much time to miss for a player of his caliber and, and what he means to this team. How much time? How how many games into the season do the Senators get before it's too late? They can't make up the ground they've lost without Eric Carlson. I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, if he misses more than. Yeah, you, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 games. Then you start at that point, you're starting to talk about losing actual points in the standings where one player can't actually make a difference there. And we, we all, all three of us are not all that high on Ottawa and this year anyway. So I think he, he needs to be back as soon as humanly possible. As obvious as that is to say, they can't afford to miss too much time with him. If you look at last season, I'm trying to make sure I word this correctly, and I think you could sort of bridge the gap into this season. Just in terms of the regular season, is there a player that's more important to his team than Eric Carlson? The only one that comes to mind is Connor McDavid. 
well, he's the greatest player ever already, based on every poll I've read so far. But uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Edmonton would be nothing without Connor McDavid, though. That that actually is true. But <laughs> I mean, you start to look at the other great players around the league, like Jonathan Taves, Sidney Crosby. Their teams could survive without them in the regular season. They wouldn't win the Stanley Cup, but they could survive. Ottawa goes from a team that was one goal away from going to the Cup last year with Eric Carlson to probably not a playoff team if he were to miss uh, significant time. It doesn't seem like he necessarily will miss significant time yet. I guess it's it's still up in the air, but there's at least a possibility he's back. Uh, Chris Letang is Who back. Who is yours? How happy are you? Well, I don't know what to think anymore because I genuinely didn't believe Pittsburgh could win the Cup last year without Chris Letang. That wasn't just me saying that to conjure up some drama at the start of the playoffs and to prove that point it's the one topic Jamie Eisner and I have ever agreed on true he was with me not not just hockey topics just topics in life it's the one time we've ever well agreed. well I mean we both agreed we wanted iced coffee from Craig today that's a good point I was gonna say, Chris can you roll the tape of this supposed agreement they had oh no I could go back and find exactly which episode it is but uh I mean obviously if they are going to have any chance at, at a three-peat if that's something that there's legitimately thinking they can do. They need Chris Letang back. I, he's one of those players that when he, I've said this before, when he goes into the corners, I'm just nervous for the guy as a person at this point. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's something we've talked about a bunch. Of you, If you've seen these injuries, you've seen the severity of them and what types of injuries they are, you just start to worry about what his life is going to look like after hockey at this point. And silence from and Craig. And silence. All right, Craig is my cue. Well, yeah, we both stared at you. Uh, I'm going to just go through some of your other notes was, here. I was sipping my coffee. We're going to get to uh, to Joe Smith of the Tampa Times here in just a moment to preview the Tampa Bay Lightning. Doesn't sound like what's what's how do how do I even read this? USA Hockey rules out including NHL draft eligible prospects. Okay, which so if you ever want to play in the league or could play in the league, yeah, you're not playing for the Olympic team. Are other countries going to follow suit here? Probably not. No, but probably not. is Canada going to follow suit? I, if, it's if weird. any is, it's going to be. If any other country is going to, it's going to be Canada just because of the ties to the NHL. But this is getting very strange at this point. General Manager Jim Johansson told the Associated Press he doesn't view anyone from the 18 and younger pool of prospects capable of cracking the projected lineup of non-NHL players, many of whom are opening the season on teams in Europe. Okay, so who is going to be on this team? They're not going to have NHL players. Mark Arcabella. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Coyote savior, Mark Arcabella. <laughs> I mean, I, I, this... This is the hill the league is going to die on, apparently, and they're just they're determined. I I don't know how I don't know how this helps anybody involved, including the the TV partner that they have. I'm just it's very odd to me. I just want to know how they're going to field the team. I mean, I'm secretly hoping the three of us could make up at least like the third line on this team if they're just going to take a bunch of random people, because that's basically the pool that they're leaving open well, to draw from. Play, like Phil Housley, Joey Mullen. They're gonna drop from the uh... no because they've been in the NHL. It's got to be somebody that has <laughs> that, that'll no come later. That story will come next. Yeah. So not if you're in the NHL, going to be in the NHL, or ever have been in the NHL. So you're right. I have no idea. I mean, are you are you just taking college players who intend to retire right after college? How do you know? Well, he's saying he doesn't see any candidates there. But again, what, what's the pool of players you're looking at then? I don't. I don't even know. You've, you've limited this pool so to such a small group. How can you rule out all these guys? And like you said, how do you know? You don't know. So before we consider you, we need to know what your future intentions yeah. are. Are you going to become a doctor? This I is an ironclad this, contract. This hockey really this is, just isn't for you. If you know you're going to quit soon, that's the sort of passion we want to put on the uh, U.S. <laughs> Olympic team. 
we're getting far afield here. Let's let's touch on this last thing before we get to Joe Smith. We're gonna get to this in one minute. Well, we're gonna have to because we need. Well, we got three minutes to get Joe on the air. So. This is a lengthy topic, but go ahead. Well, what, I'm curious your thoughts, Gary. Gary Bettman. You know, there was there was some logic behind this when you listen to his argument, but he's basically telling players to be apolitical at the arena, and this, of course, is in reaction to what's happening in the NFL which is in reaction to what our president had to say about firing sons of you-know-what if they don't stand for the national anthem. Here's what Gary Bettman said about all this, because as we all know, and we're going to talk about this as well, the Pittsburgh Penguins accepted their invitation to go to the White House while the Golden State Warriors did something quite different. Gary says, sports may be one of the places where there's great unity within a community that trans political divide, uh, transcends political divide. Going to the White House or not, it's about respecting the institution. It's not about what your politics are and who's in the White House. Respecting the national anthem, I think it's great for our players to be involved in political and social causes, but I also think that's not why people come to games to see them. So I would encourage, and I do encourage our players to do it on their own time. When they're showing up for work to participate in a game that people are focused on, care about, pay a lot of money to attend, then it should be all about the game. That block of time should be apolitical and we can use our platforms to demonstrate diversity, inclusiveness, educating communities on good causes, whether or not it's health or the environment. But when the game is being played, it should be about the game because that's what the fans want. Thoughts? I, you have 15 seconds. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's, if it's about, again, it's, sorry, it's, it's the, the continued hypocrisy of, of leagues when they have to talk about these issues. If it's what the fans want, if you always want what the fans want, what, there's a number of things. We just talked about the Olympics as well. Uh, other topics that say, well, no, you, don't, you didn't really care what the fans wanted here. You had a business mm-hmm. reason or a personal reason for why you didn't want to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, again, it's nice to say I would like players to be apolitical uh, at, at the arena during games. I don't know how realistic it's going to be. It's probably a little bit more – If you're probably less likely to see some of the st- – the, the protests that we've seen around the sports world in hockey than you have in other leagues for a number of different reasons. Some of it is, is it's a just, white sport. yeah, it, it's, it's a white sport. yeah, it's a white sport. You have a lot of athletes that aren't from America or not from North America even. So it creates this, this, a different, it creates a different mix. You have a different background of people that are playing on a, typically hockey versus football or basketball or baseball. And that's why each sport has its own differences when it comes to these protests. I, I, I don't know what, what he was going to say differently, but I, it's, it's, it's kind of just a blah it's statement. It's a good point you make about you saying we're, we're going to do what the fans want. It, well, that's, that's a bit disingenuous because clearly the NHL has violated that edict in, in other ways. Everybody but, does. But also, if you're going to say it's all about the, you know, it, it's product driven, that, that's, that's socially irresponsible, isn't it? You can't just say, you can't divorce yourself from social issues entirely and say this is an arena where, where it doesn't happen. I know people, there are so many people out there stick to sports where po- politi- politics doesn't belong in sports. They're intertwined. Look, these boundaries are not black and white. It's, it's absurd to assert that they aren't mixed, they, they, that they don't commingle. There's all sorts of spillover. So you know, I, I don't know where the answer lies on the anthem. I, I certainly think a lot of it's been misunderstood with people blaming it on, you know, tying it to the military instead of tying it to racial injustice, which is really what these protests are about. But I, I don't know. I, he makes some good points here, but it, it still doesn't ring entirely true for me because I, I, I think you, you miss an opportunity because this is such a big stage. You miss an opportunity to do something 
good for society? I have a ton of thoughts on this, but we have to get to our We're guests. We're out of time. So do we want to... We can pick this back up after we talk to Joe Smith of the sure, Tampa Bay we'll Times if you want. But uh, right now we're going to talk to Joe Smith about a team that could very well challenge for the Stanley Cup this year despite missing the playoffs last year, the Tampa Bay Lightning. All right, we're going to continue our summer preview series with, what is this, the 25th team we've done? 25th, 26th? 26th. Yeah, 26th team. We've got now a, just a, 31. a few left. And this is a team that uh, myself and Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner, who just walked out of the room, all feel could maybe win the Stanley Cup, the Tampa Bay Lightning, or at least challenge for it. We're joined now by Joe Smith of the Tampa Times. Uh, Joe, I guess I'll, I'll just start right there. Is that an outlandish uh, expectation? No, not outlandish at all. I mean, look, at this is a team that people thought were the preseason cup favorites last season at this time. Uh, last year, so I don't think it's out of the question. They have the talent to do it. Um, they're healthy now, which is a big factor. Last year, you don't have Steven Stamkos for 65 games. You don't have Ryan Callahan for 60 games. Um, kind of the goaltending was in flux with Bishop, kind of uh, uh, going to be traded at any point during the season, which kind of made him and uh, both Vasilevsky stressed. So uh, there's no question there's a different feel going into camp this year. A lot of motivated and hungry players knowing that they can't have the same kind of first half they did last year. You mentioned the injuries, Joe. Was that the biggest factor last year? Because I think you wrote a little bit about early season complacency, poor play against some of the league's worst teams. What, where do all, all those factor in in your mind? Well, I mean, injuries did play a big role. I mean, you, you don't lose one of the game's best players, Steven Stamkos, for that long, and you miss the playoffs at one point. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you play 60, play at least uh, 25 or 30 games, they made it one more point up. But um, you lose that leadership, him and, him and Callahan. But I think there's a good point made that the last two years, they've kind of struggled in the first half of the year. It took them long to get, uh, not only if it's a cup hangover run, but it's hard for those guys to get that intensity up from when they played the cup final against Chicago to all of a sudden October game against Buffalo, and they really hurt themselves. They had to, they took a big run, they needed a big run um, the year before just to get back into playoff contention. They made it. Last year, they had a great run, but they couldn't make it at the time. They waited too little too late, so I think that's a big emphasis this year for you guys is to just Start the, start the season on time and put yourself in a situation where you have some some points that you have a you put cushion there you, you build off of going to the second half of the year so injury is the one thing health is the important part but also just starting the year strong and knowing that conference is not going to get any easier to, to get out of Joe there was a time when Steven Stamkos was arguably the most elite goal scorer in the NHL he's only 27 injuries have been the issue I mean two years ago he still puts up 36 goals the year before 43 in your mind is he still does he still have the uh, the upside of being the most prolific goal scorer in the league oh I think you look at him last year before he got hurt he was 20 points in 17 games and him and Kucherov together which they are right now to start the season you get those two you put those two guys together for a full season and watch out they could you know, he could definitely get up past the 47 goal mark again. Uh, there's no question. So, um, and he, he has to, you know, get back. I mean, he missed the most of the year with the injury. So, Friday was a great start for him, his first game in 10 months, to where he was able to, uh, you know, look like, look like the old spam coach. He was skating. He was, he was uh, you know, dangerous at every every shift. Um, he didn't feel as tentative as he thought, mentally or physically, to be back on the ice for a long time. And so, He's playing again, you know, tonight in the preseason exhibition against Florida, and they're hoping he has the same thing. So, yes, I think he can get back to that player. He broke his leg before, came back to be one of the best players in the league, and he can do it again, I think. Speaking of Kucherov, is everything good with him and his teammates after his critical comments? Maybe they weren't even critical comments. Maybe they were misconstrued a little bit in Savetsky sport. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to, to him for a long sit-down for last week. He ran a couple of eight times over the weekend. And I talked to Steven Stamkos, too. He said that, Stamkos met with, with Kucherov or talked to him and so did Steve Eiserman just about it. 
Uh, he did have some critical comments. He had some positive comments, too, at that point. But the biggest one was, in his translation, was some guys got paid and stopped working as hard. And I think we talked to a lot of the players on the team. Um, you know, Strawman has said they took half the year off. So it wasn't like it was an inaccurate statement for a certain point. Maybe it was harshly translated or harshly said at the time. But Kucherov is a very driven player. He was an MVP candidate last year. Uh, he backs up his words with how he plays. And I think he was just frustrated being – you know, playing the World Championships instead of playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So um, you talk to him now, and I've talked to him for a while, and he just says that he feels like this team is a different group. They're hungry, they're motivated, and they're all playing practically harder than they did before last year. So uh, he's a much happier guy right now, and there's a good reason for it. So I think all that stuff is in the past. They both consider it in the past. And uh, Sam Coast said they're looking forward to a full year of Kucherov this year. Is there another level for him? He had a remarkable season last year. Can, can he take this even higher? Absolutely. I mean, I've talked to Alex Ovechkin before, and he said that the Kucherov could score 50 easily, and that's coming from a guy who knows how to score 50 goals. I mean, not many people can do that in this day in the day and age with the NHL, but uh, Kucherov had 40 last year. He had 29, then 30, then 40. I think he can go up there with him and Stamkos together, and the way he got much more confident in that leadership role last year, and I think he could definitely take another step. He's constantly working, trying to get better. He was in Tampa all summer long, working on stick handling and shooting and trying to learn from a hand- from Panera in the World Championships, try to get different parts of his game. And so I think the work ethic is there. I think the talent's there. And if you put him in situations to succeed, I think he'll be even better than he was last year if he stays healthy. Joe, that, that first year when uh, Kucherov really broke out, he was on that triplets line with Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat. Are we ever going to see that line again? And, and what, in your mind, has been behind the drop in production for Johnson and Palat? Well, I think you'll see it at some point, maybe. But I think right now, with the fact that him and Stamkos have such great chemistry, it was almost like a, a snap of the finger that they, they really hit it off and ready to up each other and play with each other so well that they're going to start the season, I think, with them two together. Um, so I think that was like lightning in a bottle that year with, with Johnson and Pilat and and, and uh, Kucherov, who kind of didn't really were kind of relatively unknown to the league. Not unknowns, but they weren't quite as uh, as as present as they are now. Um, and I think with Johnson, the, the biggest issue with him has just been injuries. You know, stuff he stuff he's, that are announced is one thing. The stuff he plays through are another thing. So I don't think he's really been uh, completely healthy the last couple of seasons. And um, Palat's not a guy who's going to put up a monster number. He's kind of the engine of every line. He'll do a little things that I'll the offensive end of it to his own. So uh, the big thing with jo- Johnson, I think, is he's really healthy. He had the longest summer for the first time. He's the first time he's the playoffs since he was 14, 15 years old. So changed his diet, his workouts, and he's the healthiest he's ever been. So I think that'll be interesting to watch him if you say that way the whole course of the whole season. Another one of the Lightning's well-known skilled forwards went out the door this summer. Uh, walk us through the thinking in the Jonathan Drouin trade. Well, you know, they went into the summer having three key RFAs in Johnson, Pollard, and Drouin, and only a certain amount of cap space to work with. And I think they knew at the, at the heart of hearts that they would probably not be able to keep all of them as far as locking them up long-term and with the, the cap number. You saw what Jonathan Drouin's deal in Montreal was, I think it was like $33 million six years, I think, believe it is. Um, so, and the only guy who gets the best return for them of all those three would have been Jonathan Drouin. So, I even went to the offseason. They knew they wanted to get some help defensively, uh, not just and not just for the short term as far as finding guys at the end of their contracts, guys that maybe might be on their entry-level deals, a young guy who could be a star going forward so they could build around and the only way to get it, Mikhail Sergachev, who he feels to be a really good player potentially this season, is by dangling Jonathan Drouin. So it just became a could be a good trade for both sides, even though I think the Lightning fans initially did not want to see 
Joanne go because it's a, such a dynamic player, one of the few guys in the league who can play like that and great those kind of um, highlight reel plays that I know deep down that in the long term to keep this window open, they got to keep some more younger um, defensemen that could grow into this into this core with Victor Hetman and be there for the long term. So I think that was the thinking going behind it. Uh, time will tell. I think I'm sure you know the trade might look good for Montreal in the first year with the Jonathan Drouin already established player. But from what we've seen from Sergeyev in camp and what the Lightning have seen from him overall, is I think he could be a really good top four defenseman, which is hard to come by and not very cheap uh, to come by in this league. What do they feel the timeline on that development is, and is there a chance he plays this year? Oh, absolutely, there's a chance he makes a team this year. They, they, they're, they're giving him every chance in the preseason to improve himself. He played. 20-plus minutes in the first three exhibition games he's been in. He's playing again tonight. Um, they're playing with power play and penalty kill, left and right side. He's an NHL player, looks like, from the from just the skill level and the skating level. It's a matter if he can handle the load and not be too overwhelmed decision-making um, at the faster speed. So they're going to give him every opportunity to make the team out of camp, and I would, be, I would be surprised if he didn't, quite frankly. He has a nine-game window. You can play him in the NHL before sending him back to junior for one final season. So junior coach that he that with Windsor told me, I think he thinks he's ready. Uh, he believes he's ready. The team thinks he's pretty much ready. So I think we'll get a chance to see him at some, either to start the season uh, and probably the full season, quite frankly, uh, with the Lightning. Joe, we have sort of a similar situation here in, in Phoenix with Oliver ekman Larson, but uh, and, and I know this individual finished third in Norris voting. But do you think the the greater hockey world has a sense of just how valuable Victor Hedman is? Oh, absolutely. I think that was kind of like. A more of an underrated, under the radar thing like three or four years ago. But once that Stanley Cup run in 14 um, 15 against Chicago, I think people got a, a bird's eye view of just how good uh, Victor Hedman is. One of the top defensemen in, in the league and the number three in the Norris voting for a reason. Uh, he can do it all. And he's just even getting more confidence in himself offensively. You saw that last year in the power play and uh, in the rush. So uh, I think maybe like three or four years ago, people could say that question whether, like Larson, you know, that you might not know quite appreciate how good he is with the playoff runs that they had now him establish himself i think people around the league ask anybody any team any coach any any player of the league and they definitely have a huge respect for victor headman what he can do and he's only to get better too took him a couple hundred games in the league to get himself find himself kind of comfortable and confident and be able to play his game and now it's just a take off from there so lightning have eight more years of him to, to go and they're looking forward to it Tampa Bay signed Chris Kunitz for one year. I believe he is the NHL player with the most, the current NHL player with the most Stanley Cups right now with four. How do you see him fitting in with the uh, with the Lightning up front? Well, I think he'll, right now he's starting with the third line with uh, paired with Callahan and then two over the center is might be Mestikoff or Gord. But I think it's so valuable to have different voices in the room, too. He's the only cup winner they'll have on their team at this point with four. Uh, they wanted Dan Girardi as well. They wanted to get better defensively, both up front on the blue line. And they, really think they, they did that with a guy like Chris Kunis, who won't have the flash and the, the skill offensively as Jonathan Drouin, but he can be more responsible defensively and, and be still an impact player there and in the room, too. Um, you can't underestimate having new voices in a room and the leadership and, and where they can kind of bring that, that different dynamic to um, the locker room after having such a, a familiar core for three or four or five years. So. Um, he may not be the top line guy or the, you know, first power play guy, but he'll get a chance to play some minutes and special teams and and see how that goes. Was that the same thinking with Dan Girardi then? Because the the, the ending in New York was was not a great one. Why why bring in a guy like that? Well, I mean, I think if you're an analytics person, you're wondering why why is he playing in the league right now? I think you could make a case based on that analytics that it he's wanted a, he had a rough year the last couple of years, but I think they're, they're looking at him 
as a guy that's watching it uh, beneath the surface, how he's, he's still a solid uh, D-man if you put him in the right role, and I think they have him probably in a third pairing role. They don't need to play him to play 22, 23 minutes. He's really good in the penalty kill, which is something Lenny needed to get better at. Um, he's a, a veteran, obviously, and he's a guy who could maybe play with a circuit jab in the third pairing, be a more of a calming influence and a guy who can play steady in his own zone, not a flashy guy, but a guy who can do, do his part. Um, so, and it was for a two-year deal with a you know chance if you need if you, if you need to after the first year, um, cut ties. But I think they're really happy with what they have um, in him, and they're hoping that now that he's finally healthy, this is the first time in the, like the last three or four years he could skate the whole full summer um, and, and without having to worry about a foot or a or a, a leg injury from all the block shots he's taken in his career. So he's feeling invigorated and motivated. I think you'll probably see a better uh, Dan Girardi than maybe you saw in those injury play seasons the last couple of years in New York. Joe, we already talked about Sergachev. Any other prospects that you see making a significant impact on the roster this year? Well, I mean, right now they have Alex Volkov, their second-round pick from the draft in June. He's still in camp, and he's vying for kind of a dark horse for a spot, a six-foot-one, uh, kind of like a power forward, a skilled guy that a lot of the guys still like. So he'll probably impact the team at some point if he doesn't make the team out of camp. Uh, you have guys like Anthony Sorelli and coming his first-year pro, um, and uh, there's a bunch of different prospects. So Matthew Joseph could be a guy. Matthew Pekka, uh, he'll be up here at some point in a call-up situation. So uh, there's a number of different little prospects that will be able to get a chance to get their, to play because you saw last year all the injuries. Lightning played like 38 different guys on their roster with all the different things that went on. So there's a lot, bunch of different guys. It's probably the deepest pipeline or deepest uh, prospect pool that they have, both on defense and maybe at forward in a long time. So they'll definitely have some help on the way if they need to. All right, last one for you. Looking in net, uh, you know, obviously there was more to it than just simply talent that, that played into the equation. You had to deal with Ben Bishop's uh, contract requirements and everything. But in your mind, do you feel like the, the Tampa Bay front office is, is satisfied it made the right call with Andre Vasilevsky as the clear number one now? Absolutely. I mean, you can't take away from what Ben Bishop did for this organization. He was the number one boy they looked for for 10 years, and they don't, get, they don't go on those playoff runs without him. And Vasilevsky might not be ready as ready quickly without Ben Bishop as kind of as a mentor and uh, and kind of his teacher, as he calls them. So nothing against Ben Bishop, but they really feel that Vasilevsky has a chance to be a star in this league and a league goalie in this league for a long time. He's waited his turn, and he's developed the last couple of years, brought along slowly, and you saw late last year what he did as the number one guy under a pressure situation of being have to win most every game to make the playoffs like they did, and he was a bit their best player down the stretch and so they're feeling going into this year this is first finally his time to have the net and they're super confident knowing this guy no one works harder on this team than him uh and no one is as probably as poised as him in those situations so he's won at every level and they feel he'll do that again the nhl level you can find him on twitter at tv times underscore j smith he's joe smith of the tampa times joe thanks so much for the time enjoy the season no problem thanks guys anytime take care thanks a lot yeah, Tampa Bay is a team that uh, – it's interesting. You and I looked at the, the Stanley Cup odds a couple weeks ago, and actually it was even brought up by, by Shane Doan last week of how, how there's this movement for the Oilers. They're the number two most favored team right now by the public. Tampa Bay, I guess, is kind of up there. They're getting some buzz, but you heard Joe say at the start of the interview this was a team getting buzz as maybe the Stanley Cup favorite a year ago – what have they really lost? They had injuries last year, and I understand you don't have Jonathan Drouin, but you added Mikhail Sergachev. And if you're going from last year, you added Steven Stamkos, too. If you've added a top four or potentially a top two defenseman in that trade, if that's what it works out to be, another Iserman steal, then 
nothing wrong with that trade. And there's no shortage of speed and skill and, and scoring from this forward group when they're healthy. It's it's really like, you know, I, I, I teams always say injuries are part of the game, but it, I don't know why they have to hold to that line, to be honest, because when you have devastating injuries like losing Steven Stamkos and Ryan Callahan, of course it's going to impact your team severely. And Joe's absolutely right. If Stamkos plays the season, do they get one more point and make the playoffs? Of course they do. Yeah, yeah. And then they're a threat, and they're right? dangerous. Because, yes, exactly. They're basically they, in where Ottawa was. <laughs> right. right. Probably where Ottawa probably should have been in there instead of Ottawa, and they, they would have gotten there had they been healthy. So you know, maybe you look at this as they had a longer summer to rest. They're going to come back very hungry, and if they can stay healthy – absolutely this team is still in the hunt and i i can't believe that they're not getting more of a buzz than they are because they should be they have they have all the pieces in my opinion as somebody you're somebody that watches the blackhawks closely i mean we both watch the coyotes very closely we watch the whole league closely but you watch the blackhawks closely you have your whole life and i've watched the penguins closely my whole life you know you saw chicago take out tampa bay in the stanley cup now three cups ago uh, and that was i thought a very good series uh, two years ago in the Eastern Conference Final, Pittsburgh wins the Stanley Cup. They were one goal away from losing in Game 7 to Tampa Bay. And, and look, it was kind of a weird bounce. And Brian Russ yeah. puts a puck past the uh, the goalie, and that's how they, they get there. I mean, Tampa Bay was right there two years ago. I, I know teams get hit by injuries every year. Mm-hmm. We talked about Eric Carlson, Oliver Ekman Larson, and Chris Letang at the start of the show. I don't know that the team has been hit hard more consistently than Tampa Bay well, over the last Stamkos couple of years. Well, goes out twice in, you know, what, a four-year period is it now, or is it a- it's, I think it was, yeah, it was two years in between where he played full seasons. But yeah. to have that happen to the guy twice, it's just insane to have major injuries like that. And look, there are other factors here. I, I still have some questions about that blue line. You know, if, if Sergachev becomes that defenseman, great. They probably solved that problem long term, but they're probably not there quite yet. So that you can look at some holes in that blue line. And you need a return to form from guys like Palat and Johnson. They have to produce more yes. than they did last season. So that's something to watch as well. But Every team has weaknesses. This team doesn't have many, and it has a whole lot of upside. I mean, there's a couple guys we didn't even mention in that interview, but like Anton Strahlman's a pretty good number two defenseman. Victor Hedman is a Norris Trophy threat every year. A Braden Point is a guy that was a rookie last year and put up 18 goals that doesn't get a, a ton of hype because Tampa Bay is so loaded with NHL talent that we don't talk about their prospects very much. And when we do, it was always Jonathan Drouin. Braden Point was one of those guys that maybe isn't as flashy as Jonathan Drouin, but he just kind of... I, I got the sense that people around Tampa Bay just expected he would be an NHLer, and sure enough, he stepped in last year and had 18 goals and I believe, 68 games. So it's not it's not like this team is just Stamkos, Kucherov, and hoping their goalie plays well. There's waves of offensive talent up front, two extremely gifted defensemen, maybe a third on the way, and a goalie that has shown flashes of being able to, to take a team in the playoffs... There's not a lot of teams. Let's put it this way: when you're making predictions, you ha- you can't you can't anticipate injuries. You just have to assume everybody's going to be healthy. If there was some magical universe where every NHL team was just completely healthy all year, there's no doubt in my mind Tampa Bay would at least be one of the final four teams. Yeah, no question. When you look at this division, too, uh, I can't see any way that it's not Tampa Bay and Toronto battling for this division lead. Look, I know Washington's done a really good job. Some. <laughs> somewhat of a perplexing job of, of finishing near the top of this division. They won it last year, of course. But when I look at their blue Montreal. line... Montreal. Yeah, Montreal, sorry. When I look at their issues, I, I don't see that happening again. It seems to me that this is a dogfight between Tampa Bay and Toronto, which, you know, Toronto has to take another huge leap forward from last season. They just made the playoffs last year. So it, it's maybe a lot to expect from a young group of players, but so much talent there as well. 
That could be a really interesting budding rivalry. That line, if, if, if Kucherov and, and Stamkos play together, it, I mean, you could have a pair of 40 goal scorers on the same line. Don't forget, Steven Stamkos scored 60 goals a few years ago in one season. Like, that happened. That wasn't just something we all dreamed up. And, and Kucherov's, outside of players on their entry-level deals, like, obviously, Connor McDavid is the best bargain in hockey right now because he's making less than a million dollars, and he might be the best player in the league. But Kucherov's got to be one of the best bargains in the NHL, making less than $5 million a year. He put up 85 points last year and had 40 goals, and I don't think people even realize it. No, they don't. And that's part of why, you know, when we were, we were talking about Victor Hedman, you know, I think the, the people who cover the game that are around the game all the time understand how good he is, but I don't think the general fan base still puts him in, in the group of the best players in the NHL. I don't think they think about him. Part of that's probably market-driven. He's just he's just off the radar a bit. Not as much as Oliver Ekman Larson, mind you, but he he's off the radar and he's yet he's a, a guy who finished as we mentioned top three in Norris voting. Yeah, and, and look, Joe just said it too. I mean, they went to the Cup a couple of years ago. They've they've been to the Eastern Conference Final within the last two years. So people are starting to realize, and, and I shouldn't say are starting to. They did a couple of years ago how good Victor Hedman is. If you want to take this locally. That's how Oliver Ekman Larson takes the next step in terms of public perception. He has to, you know, bounce back and be the OEL that we've seen him be for the majority of his career. But ultimately, team success. When you are in a non-traditional market, and I kind of hate that term, but whatever, it's the best way to describe it, like Tampa Bay and, and Phoenix, mm-hmm. your team needs to make a playoff run for for just the casual observer to understand just how good, especially a defenseman, is. Because it's not like you can point, like with, with Kucherov, you can point and say, like, Oh, yeah, he is kind of overlooked. He had 40 goals last year. That's how many Austin Matthews had. You can look at the stats. You know, with Hedman and, and OEL and, and any defenseman, it's really tough to just look at stats. No, you, you definitely have to watch. Well, you can look at deeper stats, analytics, certainly, to see how they drive possession, et cetera. But you definitely have to watch these players to see the impact they make on the game. Anything else on Tampa? I think we're good there. Okay. Are we going to get back into this, uh, this yeah. discussion that you started let's, earlier? Let's do it right now. All right, Jamie's not here. So that's why we let him say his piece. And, and now we're just going to rip him apart. We'll edit that out, right? Yeah, no. Okay. We're, I would assume we'll have to talk to uh, to Chris, who puts these all together for us, but we're going to go back and edit Jamie out of the previous 113 episodes as well, correct? Chris has agreed. Okay, nice. Okay. <laughs> I knew it wouldn't be too hard to sway him. Uh, I don't know where you want to pick this conversation back up. It's very. I think it's very complicated. I think it's a lot to... I don't know how to word this. There's... There's not a lot of rebellion in the NHL. Is that the best way to put it? And 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 I don't. It's not just on this issue. Like, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I I think there's a lot of conformity in the NHL. I I know that the Penguins are taking a bunch of heat for going to the White House, and I'm gonna try and tiptoe around politics as much as possible here, and and still have an intelligent conversation about this. That's gonna be difficult. Although most political conversations aren't very intelligent right now, so maybe it's not gonna be that difficult. I think, if anything, it was a missed opportunity for the Penguins to not go. I don't think they did anything horribly wrong. It's just they could have made a statement. But I'm fairly confident about 80% of the teams in the NHL would do what they're doing. And why? Uh, I think that there's there's not just one factor. There's, there's a lot of factors. You have a lot of players that weren't born in this country. Um, and I understand Canada's right on the border. Like They understand they know what's going on in the U.S., but... Uh, There's partially that. I think there's also, though, just this culture in the NHL that we've talked about this before in the past when you're trying to market players. There's really not a whole lot of individuality in the NHL. And so 
if you're going to look at it from the level of, well, why did Pittsburgh's front office not take a stand? That's one thing. But when you then have it trickle down to individual players and say, well, okay, why didn't so-and-so rebel against his team? That's just not going to happen. It's right or wrong. It's it's just not going to happen. It, I'll agree with you there. That, that There is a... I found more than, you know, the NFL, they talk about it a lot. But in the NHL, there really is this team-first mentality, sometimes to their detriment. We've talked about that from a marketing standpoint, how they don't push their stars as they much. Don't. To me, it's and the it's biggest issue in the NHL. Because it's, it's an internal culture where the players, the coaches, the, the managers don't want to do that because that's not what it's about to them. But it can have, you know, it, it can impact other areas, as we're seeing right here. Now, I don't... That starts I mean, before the NHL, too. That's when you're 10 years old playing Completely agree. Yeah. Completely agree. That is the culture of the sport, no doubt. And, and again, again, that goes back to the demographics of the sport as well. That yeah. Those play a factor here. And let's be honest, uh, there are a lot of conservative people in, in the NHL, players, coaches, managers, a lot of people who probably voted for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. And that plays a role here as well. We can't, we can't deny that. You and I both know what the, the makeup of the local team looks like. So... I'm sure that plays a role as well, but there is a fair argument to be made here as well. I, I know some people won't like this who just despise the president. There's a fair argument to be made that you still honor the office. You still go because it's the right thing to do, even if you disagree with some of the things coming out of that office. Yeah, you said a lot there. Yeah. And again, I'm trying not to get too political with it, but I just... Like, the Golden State Warriors are not going to the White House. That's kind of where this, not where this all started, but where you where you began to see the comparison between the Warriors, who just won the NBA Finals and aren't going, and yeah. the Penguins, who won the Stanley Cup and are going. And I just, I think that there's, there's just, that's the culture in the NHL. You just kind of do what you were going to do. You don't ruffle a lot of feathers. I, I think if it was if it was flipped and there was a Democrat in the White House I don't think the response from the NHL Stanley Cup winner would be much different. But what are we talking about? What's the issue that's that's causing them? Well, we're talking about racial injustice here. So yeah. when an NBA team that is primarily black players doesn't want to go, you get why they don't want to go. That the when you're talking about an NHL team, they're, they're probably not as offended by what was said because it's not directed at them really. And see, that, that's right. And you're 100 percent right. But this is where we're never going to truly know. I feel like even if they were equally offended, they still would go. That's just the That's culture possible. of hockey. Yeah, you're possibly right and, there. And yeah. I'm not saying it's right by any means. In fact, on some level, I do wonder if an NHL team not going would have almost had more of an impact. The NHL is not as big as the NBA, and there's nobody on Pittsburgh that is as well-known nationally as Steph Curry, certainly, but it would have been a little more out of the ordinary for an NHL team not to go. Yeah. So yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't know. That's uh, I guess that's the best way to have that conversation. There's there's a lot more we could go into, but we're, more. we're not going to. <laughs> so all right. So that was uh, Tampa Bay. When we come back or next later on in the week, we're going to have a preview of the National Predators who went to the Stanley Cup this past season and the Columbus Blue Jackets who just Craig and I will talk about. We won't have a guest for that one. That's not a slight on Columbus. They were a very fun team last year, a very good team, and, and I think they could be a pretty good team this year as well. So we will get into that, and I'm going to try and force Craig to talk about this uh, list of the top 50 players in the NHL that came out via TSN. So Can't we'll wait. see if we can get into that. All right, that's going to do it for us for Episode 114 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast. For Jamie Eisner, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening. The Natty Hattie!